Welcome back to Strange State, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Liz Higgins. If you're a Patreon member, there is now a bonus episode on the infamous Jeffrey McDonald and the murder of his entire family. Speaking of patrons, shout out to Mary and Tasia, our two newest seasoned detectives. Thank you all for your continued support. And if you want your very own shout out on the next episode, along with some really cool other perks, check out our Patreon page. There is now a link on our Instagram account and on our website to make it nice and easy. It is patreon.com backslash strangestatepod, so give it a check out. Okay, so this week's episode, for all of our regular degular people, is a really heavy hitter, so I want to go ahead and just hop on in, stay with me. Uh, It's going to get really detailed, because I know that's what you guys like, and... It's going to be a tough one, but it's going to be worth it. Okay, so as humans, we all want to believe in the best in people. It makes us feel safe, but unfortunately, there are monsters that live among us, and those monsters do have a name, serial killer. FBI.gov states the term serial killings means a series of three or more killings, not less than one of which was committed within the United States, having common characteristics characteristics such as to suggest the reasonable possibility that the crimes were committed by the same actor or actors. Although the federal law provides a definition of serial murder, it is limited in its application. The purpose of the definition was to set forth criteria establishing when the FBI could assist local law enforcement agencies with their investigation of serial murder cases. It was not intended to be a generic definition of serial murder. So in layman's terms, this means murders that is in a series of three or more that basically form a pattern or a signature, if you will, if you're familiar with the serial killer genre. With the interest in true crime on the rise, we also had an uptick in documentaries and podcasts on the subject. Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy, the Ken and Barbie killers, just to name a few. But there are also some you've never heard of, some that are in our own towns, and some that are active right now while you're listening. Charlotte, North Carolina is also known as the Queen City. It is the largest city in North Carolina, home to the NASCAR Hall of Fame, Carowinds Theme Park, and the Carolina Panthers. There is something for everyone in Charlotte to do. In the 1990s, the locals of this bustling city were growing concerned, and African-American women in this city were living in pure terror. Due to the rapid growth in Charlotte at the time and the growing crack epidemic of the 1990s, the murder rate quickly doubled and tripled in the early 90s. The Charlotte-Mecklenburg police were overworked and understaffed, with a homicide unit that contained nine detectives and averaged a new case every other day. This quote was found on Murderpedia. According to the FBI's Uniform Crime Reporting Program, Charlotte-Mecklenburg stats for 1993 indicate more than 51,000 incidences of crime, 9,102 of these falling under the description of violent, broken down, They cite 87 murders, 350 rapes, 
2,713 robberies and 5,952 assaults. This made for a perfect ecosystem for a serial killer to operate while under the radar. In the years between 1992 and 1994, 10 young black women were murdered in cold blood with a city that felt like they were not doing enough because of the race and social status of these victims, the pressure on the police was monumental and growing by the minute. Henry Lewis Wallace was also known as the Taco Bell Strangler and the Charlotte Strangler. He would take full advantage of the lack of resources the police department had at the time. He was born in Barnwell, South Carolina, to his mother, Lottie Mae Wallace, and an older sister by three years. They were a poor family, and Henry sometimes had to wear his sister's hand-me-down clothing. And even though his mother was a strict disciplinarian, she rarely had the energy to follow through, usually making Henry and his sister beat each other with switches. Because of the lack of electricity or plumbing in the house, they used basically chamber pots as restrooms, and it was Henry's chore to clean them every day. Never knowing his father really bothered Henry, who was often told by his mother to quit thinking about it and do something else. While in high school, his mother did not allow him to join the football team like he wanted, but that didn't stop Henry from being involved because he became a cheerleader. It earned him the admiration from school staff and his peers. He was known for his positive, upbeat attitude and his willingness to cheer other people around him. In 1984, after two failed attempts at higher education and being fired from a job as a radio DJ for stealing, he decided to join the Navy and remained in the Navy for eight years. In the Navy, he thrived under the structure and had a spotless record. While in the Navy, he got married to a woman that he dated off and on in high school and adopted her daughter from a previous relationship. Henry had always wanted to be a father and he always wanted children of his own. He was despondent when his wife refused to have one with him. That quickly ended the marriage. During this time, he became addicted to drugs, specifically crack cocaine, and was involved in some petty theft in order to feed the habit. After a particular break-in near where he was stationed while he was in the Navy, he got caught, and he was honorably discharged due to his previous spotless record. With his life in such a downward spiral, he moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, back in with his mother and sister. After relationship after relationship with multiple different women, one of his girlfriends finally became pregnant and gave birth to a baby girl in 1993, who was the light of Henry's life. That didn't keep him from committing these heinous crimes. And the following descriptions of the crimes came in part from a confession that Henry gave himself after he was questioned by police and are very graphic. Caroline Love. In June of 1992, after obtaining a key from an ex-girlfriend who used to be her roommate, he entered the residence while she was away and hid in the apartment until she came home. When she arrived, he made a sexual advance towards her, and when she refused him, he became enraged and tried to choke her. He then took her to her bedroom, where he raped her. As she started to wake up and struggle, he noticed a curling iron she had near her bed, grabbed it, and wrapped the cord around her neck, strangling her. He then wrapped up the now-deceased Caroline Love in her own bedsheets, 
took her to his car, and dropped her off near train tracks near some construction, where he thought she wouldn't be seen. He went back to the body sometime later, noting that she looked like leather. And sometime a little while after that, he visited again and noticed that she wasn't anything more than bones. Caroline Love was missing for three days before her boss at Bojangles notified her sister to let her know that she hadn't been to work. When they went to her home, nothing really looked out of place, so she was reported missing. Henry, being a friend of theirs, went to the police with them to file a missing persons report. They did not find her body until Henry was arrested and told them where she was. February 19th of 1993, Henry stopped by the home of Shauna Hawk while she was home alone. He said he didn't go there to murder her originally, just to have a friendly conversation with her. You see, Henry was her supervisor at the Taco Bell where she worked. After some idle chat, Shauna started to joke with Henry and pick on him about a relationship he had with another woman named Sadie. Henry said this enraged him, and he became so overwhelmed with the urge to choke her, he finally had to give in. He placed her in a chokehold. Once he knew she was dead, he filled the bathtub with water and put her in it. He stole $50 from her wallet and left the scene. Hours later, her mother arrived home and got a phone call from Shauna's boyfriend asking her mother, Dee Sumter, if she had seen her because he had not seen her at all that day. Growing concerned, her boyfriend came over to join Dee in making phone calls and searching for her. It was then when he went to use the bathroom in the home that Dee heard him screaming at her to call the police as he had discovered Shauna's body. Her mother later started an organization called Mothers Against Murdered Offspring. Her, her organization began as a coping mechanism for Dee and a form of comfort. It quickly became the voice she needed to fight for justice for her daughter and for the other victims of the mysterious killer. At the time, she wrote a letter to this man, which I'm going to put a link to her reading it on the website. It is so powerful and so worth watching. On June the 22nd, 1993, he visited Aubrey, Spain, another co-worker of his, just to rob her. When he got to the house, everything started normal enough. They smoked some weed together. They relaxed. That's when he became irate and started punching her and started to threaten her, asking where, where all of her money was. When she passed out from him choking her, old habits hit him hard. He stripped her and he raped her. She began to regain consciousness and begged him not to hurt her. So he raped her again and told her to get up, put her clothes back on. As she lifted herself off the bed, he grabbed her and choked her, and she passed out again. He tied some clothing around her neck to finish the job. He stole two of her ATM cards, and he later used them at an ATM, which would prove to be his downfall later on in the case. Valencia Jumper was a very close friend to Henry's sister, and Henry himself has said that he didn't understand why he ever hurt her. Under the guise of needing a friend after a particularly nasty fight with his girlfriend, Sadie, he went over to Valencia's and had a long conversation with her about life. When the conversation had taken its natural progression to the end, he asked her to call his girlfriend and let him know where he was and that he was safe. When she turned her back on him, he grabbed her and put her in a chokehold. 
and she completely, immediately complied to whatever he wanted. He raped her, and she believed by letting him do what he said that she was going to save her own life. He had her turn her back again and wrapped a towel around her neck, strangling her until she was dead. After walking around the home trying to figure out what to do, he found a bottle of rum in her kitchen, a bottle of 151. He poured the rum on top of her body, put food on top of the stove in a can, turned the stove on high, lit a match, and threw it on her body and left. Her body was actually found because of this fire. She was burned so badly, her death was actually ruled accidental and wasn't tied to any of these murders until Henry confessed to it. In September of the same year, 1993, he visited the home of Michelle Stinson with the sole intent of raping her. After talking with her and making her comfortable with his friendly nature, she turned her back for a moment. He grabbed her and forced her to have sex with him. He then tied a towel around her neck, but she wouldn't stop making noise. Starting to get irritated with her because she wouldn't shut up, he took a knife and he stabbed her while one of her sons was in the home. A Taco Bell employee that worked for Henry was his next victim on February the 20th, 1994. Believing she had access to a large amount of money from her tax return, he made his way over to her house while both of her children were home. He was trusted by her and so was immediately let in. He took out a pillowcase that he had brought with him for the occasion, showing some premeditation, I might add. After choking her and forcing her to give up her debit card and PIN number, he then forced her to have sex with him. After the rape, he let her believe she was going to live. She got up out of the bed to care for her child asleep on the couch. He wrapped the pillowcase around her neck again, finally killing her. I also want to say that he was also quoted saying that she gave him the wrong PIN number and that he went to the ATM and was actually glad that he killed her because she gave him the wrong PIN number. And it makes me so happy that she did because it was that last act of defiance and courage to give that man that wrong PIN. Because if she had survived and he had done that, she was going to face him again. She was going to see him a different day, and she didn't care. She didn't want this man getting her money, and she wanted to treat him like the scum that he was. And so she got that final little bit of retribution, and I think that is so fantastic. On March the 8th, 1994, Betty Jean was one of the managers for the local Bojangles restaurant. Henry figured that he could pressure her into giving him the keys and codes so he could immediately rob the store. He went to her door again with a ruse that he needed to use her phone, and when she stopped paying attention to him, he attacked her and tried to choke her from behind. When he demanded that she take her clothes off, she refused, and Betty Jean was a fighter. She kicked him and even bit him to keep him away from her, but it was all futile. He persisted and eventually overpowered her and violently raped her. He then followed the same pattern, telling the girl to put her clothes back on, and then when her back was turned, he wrapped a towel around her neck and stole the money out of her purse. He also stole a gold necklace from around her neck and strangled her to death. He stole her TV, VCR, and car. 
but getting nervous later, he ditched the car, wiping off all of his prints on the inside, except some on the trunk. I just want to interrupt this story to say, what a coward. If you notice, in all of his admissions, he says that he had the woman turn their backs on him before he killed them, which means he either wanted to take them by surprise or he had trouble looking them in the face as he watched the life drain from their eyes. I want to be clear, I don't think this man had any remorse or apprehension about what he was doing. I think he was a cold-blooded killer. I just think he was also a coward. So before we get into further craziness and come to the conclusion of our story, I want us to go ahead and take a quick break so we can talk about some of our sponsors. I know, annoying part of the show, but it has to happen so we can keep the show going. So if you'll just bear with me for a few minutes, it'll all be over. So how are you listening to this podcast? Are you listening on Apple Music? Are you listening on Spotify? I bet you're listening on Stitcher. That's how I listen to podcasts. I love Stitcher. It is home to over 260,000 podcasts from classics like My Favorite Murder and Crime Junkies and Cults and Haunted Places. It's got such a wide range. It also has smart recommendations and playlists so you can find your favorite shows and organize all your current podcasts you're listening to, and it'll even learn your patterns and start picking podcasts for you, and it hasn't steered me in the wrong direction yet. Stitcher is a free app for iPhone and Android, so you can get it on both, and it's awesome. Now, if you're listening on Stitcher, do you have Stitcher Premium? Stitcher Premium has bonus episodes, exclusive shows, and ad-free listening. I have Stitcher Premium. Do you like true crime? Listen to exclusive archives from Criminology or bonus episodes from True Crime Garage or ad-free episodes of My Favorite Murder if you're into that. You can sign up today for only $4.99 a month or $34.99 for an entire year. If you use our promo code, STRANGESTATE, you will get an entire month for free to try it out. So go to stitcher.com slash premium to sign up today and use that promo code. Promo codes are unfortunately not valid on the app at the moment, but they are working to fix that. So it must be used on the website. Again, strange state. Free. Free month. Go do it now. Okay. Sorry. Off my soapbox. Back to the story. Here's where Henry starts to unravel a little bit. After murdering Betty Jean in her apartment, he decided he wasn't done for the night and walked down to the hallway to Brandy Henderson's apartment. He knew she would be home alone because he knew her boyfriend and was friends with him. He knew that the boyfriend was at work and he knew that she trusted him and would let him in without question. Using yet another ruse that he needed something for the boyfriend, he made his way into the apartment. I also want to make it clear that he knew that she would be home alone with her 10-month-old son. Once inside the apartment, he forced Brandy to perform oral sex on him and then he raped her because the more she begged for her life, the more aroused he found that he became. She then prayed and again begged him not to kill her. He pulled her into a hug saying he wasn't going to kill her and not to worry. 
As she relaxed, he wrapped a towel around her neck and he strangled her. It was then that her 10-month-old son started to cry, and Henry, afraid that the crying child would draw attention to the apartment, tied a towel around the child's neck so that it would be hard for him to breathe so he could not cry. It is also said by Henry that he doesn't want to kill the child, but that he just wanted to make it hard enough for him to breathe so that he wouldn't cry. After two murders in the same apartment building, the police were on high alert and tried to keep everyone out who didn't live in the lake apartments. Even with an increase in police presence, that didn't scare Henry away. Only a day or so later, he would sneak back into the lake apartments to the home of Deborah Slaughter. He entered her apartment to see if she wanted to buy some crack cocaine with him, and she turned him down, saying she didn't have enough money for that at the moment. Upset she couldn't split the cost of drugs with him, he began to punch her and grab her throat, forcing her to give him around $60 cash and then raping her violently. After her rape, Deborah was not going out without a fight. She screamed at him that she thought it was him all along killing the women in Charlotte. He denied it, but also tried to grab her. She then screamed and called out for help or for the police or someone. It was then that he saw she had grabbed a knife that she had hidden in her purse. She slashed it at him with a vengeance, but he quickly grabbed her arm and getting a hold of the knife, he stabbed her 38 times in her stomach and chest. This is what criminal minds would call overkill. It was obvious that this crime was very personal to him, and that stabbing her that many times, he was very angry. He also confessed to killing Sharon Nance, a suspected prostitute that had been missing since May of 1992. They had gotten into a disagreement about a payment, and he beat her to death, hiding her body near where Caroline Love's body was also found. Sharon Nance was only found with Henry's help. Henry Lewis Wallace was arrested after Brandy Henderson's boyfriend pointed the police in his direction. He claimed that the only people that Brandy would have let in the house was himself and Henry Wallace because he was a trusted friend of his. When the police saw a photo of Henry, they noticed a small cross earring in his ear that matched the side view photo they had had from an ATM photo of a suspicious person using an earlier victim's stolen debit card. It was then that they compared a palm print found on the trunk of Betty Jean's car and compared it to Henry's. It was a perfect match. After being arrested, Henry spent 12 hours telling the officers the detailed murder of each woman, and when asked why, he stated, I've wanted to tell the story for a long time. If I wouldn't have told you, if I wouldn't have stopped, the killing would have continued, and I probably would have killed myself as well. I've tried many times, but was unsuccessful each. The police were in shock at all that had been confessed. They had just began to put together that they had a serial killer on their hands, and had just started to connect the dots that it might be Henry. Then for him to confess to every single murder they had was unsubstantiated for them. After a trial that took two years to pull together, Henry Lewis Wallace was found guilty of nine counts of murder and a myriad of other charges. He was then sentenced to nine death sentences. 
He tried to have his death sentences overturned, claiming that his confessions were coerced out of him and that he felt like he had to say that he did it. All three of his appeals have been denied. Even though he claims to have been forced to confess to these crimes, people close to him say that he can't stop confessing. To other cellmates in prison, to even police officers where he is confessing to other crimes, for example, the murder of one woman while he lived in South Carolina, and the murder of many others while he was traveling in the Navy. His confession count is now in the upper 20s. He was married to a prison nurse in 1998, coincidentally in the room right next to where he will ultimately be put to death. There is a documentary on investigation discovery called Bad Henry, and it's where I got a lot of my information. It's super interesting, and it sits down with the officers and detectives that worked on the case and gives you their first-hand accounts of case details. It gives you specific details only the police would know and that hasn't been revealed to the public yet. It also interviews family members of the victims, gives you their perspective, gives you their story about how they found the bodies and how they have overcome afterwards. It gives you the sense of most of the family and friends were also friends with Henry Wallace. He attended most of their funerals for these women and consoled their families, specifically Brandy Henderson's boyfriend and his cousin, and Dee Sumter, who was Shauna Hawk's mom. He went to her funeral as well and hugged that woman. The cousin of Brandy Henderson, George Burrell, in an interview with WCNC in 2013 said, The next day, I'm watching TV with him, watching her death on the 5 o'clock news. He's so coldly touching me and saying, It's going to be all right. I'm sorry that happened. And he's the one who did it. Henry Louis Wallace was a cold-blooded killer who has never shown any remorse for his crimes. He still sits on death row in Raleigh, North Carolina. Okay, so thank you guys for listening to this episode. I know it was pretty late. It's been a crazy week over here. I will have the photos and sources, of course, on the webpage at strangestate.wordpress.com along with those additional videos that I talked about, the video of Dee Sumter reading that letter to the killer. So moving and just fantastic. I'm also going to have a link to the organization that D. Sumter started, which is still going on today, going strong. Um, you can donate and volunteer for the organization. They hold events throughout the year. They also keep a running page of victims that they are fighting for. I want you to make sure that you check them out and give them a little bit of love as well. Check us out on Instagram at Strange State Pod. On Instagram, there is a link to the Patreon page where you can go to become a member. Get a shout out on here and also some bonus episodes. I'm going to be doing an episode coming up soon on possibly a North Carolina-based cult if you're a seasoned detective. I'm very excited about it. The study of cults is another huge passion of mine because I love the psychology behind how they get started. So be looking forward to that. There's going to be some stuff on there about that. I'm really pumped about it. If you are interested, 
like I said, go to the WordPress page or go to Instagram. And both of those pages will actually have a link to get to the Patreon where you can sign up today. There are two other tiers, the first tier being the rookie tier, and it just gets you a shout out, and it's uh, only a dollar, but if that's something that's important to you, go for that. We also have the Beat Cop tier, which is the $5 tier, the next step up. You get a bonus episode every month. You'll also get immediate access to all bonus episodes once we rack some of those up as well, and then we have the Season Detective tier, which is bonus episode once a month, immediate access to all those episodes, and then the cult episodes, the ghost story episodes, all those extra things that are going to be thrown in there. I am also working on some merch. I'm working on some sticker designs and the patrons will be the first ones to get those. So make sure that you are on the lookout for that. Get signed up now because I will have a cutoff date as to when the... So follow us on all the platforms so that I can keep you guys updated on Instagram, on the website, and on Patreon. As soon as I hear about some designs, I might even need my season detective's help in voting on which one they think is the most awesome. So, season detectives, be on the lookout for that as well. I'm also about to get some new sound equipment, which I am really excited about, and I know you guys are going to be really excited about because I will be able to up the quality of this podcast and hopefully make it even better for you guys to listen to. I just have to thank you guys again so much for just really supporting the podcast like I've said time and time again you guys are so awesome and I just can't believe that you guys are supporting it the way you are and I couldn't do this without you so thank you so much I appreciate it so thank you again for your continued support and until next time strangers